RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Right now, we're going to talk about the, how would you describe it, controversial subject of fluoride, fluoridation of our water supply, fundamentally. This is controversial because you start debating this with people and it can get quite tense. So the question of fluoride, it always creates an animated conversation talking about the issue of the fluoridation of our drinking water. Mary Byrne is from Fluoride Free New Zealand and joins us on Reality Check Radio. Fluoride free, I hope, Mary, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, of course. Hi, Paul. Hi, nice to have you. And and this is... This can be a tense debate, can't it? It has been for years. Why, why is that? Yeah, um, it certainly can be a, a tense debate, um, particularly among people who are fluoridated and obviously particularly more so amongst the fluoride promoters. Um, for the fluoride promoters, I would say that they have a vested interest for their um, professional reputations. Yeah. So it's very difficult for them now to ever backtrack out of promoting fluoridation because, you know, if you think about it, if you were a person who promoted fluoridation, what you've done is promoted medicating the entire population right through from a fetus to somebody dying of cancer. You have promoted fluoridation and set it safe and effective, and that's for oh, every... No. Not safe yes. and effective again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, if you've went and said that, I mean, it's millions of people that have been affected, mm. millions of people, because, you know, we have a population of 5 million, and since we've had fluoridation since, um, well, the first places were in the 1950s and then the 1960s it rolled out, and now we have about half the population fluoridated. So um, millions of people have been subjected to this. Now, I remember thinking if you were wrong about fluoridation, that you're you're seriously, seriously wrong. It's not the sort of thing you want to make a mistake on. Mm. It's not like, you know, the normal mistakes we all make. Um, It's so big. It's, you know, one of the biggest mistakes you can make, medicating an entire population. So I think when we hear the, the dentists and some of the researchers who have been promoting it for a long time, that we have to bear that in mind that they're probably just not going to change their mind. There have been some um, fluoride promoters that have changed their mind. Um, One of them was Dr. Hardy Lineback in Canada. He was a fluoridation promoter. And then when he came out in about 1999, he said that it was a bitter pill to swallow. You know, it was really difficult for him to go, oh, my God, you know, I was wrong about that. And um, and the other person was Dr. John Calhoun, who was the principal dental officer of um, Auckland, and he was our main fluoridation promoter in New Zealand. So he went on a, a worldwide tour in the early 80s, I think it was, and then what he found, he went to all the places that were fluoridating, and he had to admit that fluoridation was not reducing dental decay. So that was his first step, and what he said was actually he may not have said anything more about it if that was all it was, that it wasn't doesn't have the benefit, but it wasn't actually harming. But what he found was actually that it is harming. 
So when he, he took that on board, he felt, you know, he had to tell the truth and, and try and get it stopped. Um, unfortunately, when he changed his mind, the the response from the New Zealand Ministry of Health, et cetera, was just to call him a nutcase. Oh, this so, is all this is so familiar. This is <laughs> so, so familiar. bloody familiar. It's like I'm hearing about today all over again or, or where we're at at the moment all over again. This is like a pattern, right? This is <laughs> this is a pattern that that, that occurs. I want to yep. ask you about the latest data on fluoride out of what is it the National Toxicology Program which is uh, US Department of Health and Human Services. So we'll get into that in a moment but uh, you've been in this would you call it a fight? Mm. A battle. crusade. <laughs> okay, crusade. You've been in this Maybe. Um, no, 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 not so much a crusade. I mean, how I felt when um, I found out about fluoridation. Not when I first found out that it was, there was a whole pile of doubt. Like previously, I grew up in a fluoridated area, thought yeah. that fluoride was good, thought that most of the world did it, that it was a mineral that we needed, that it helped everybody get the right amount of a mineral. You know, I believed the propaganda and I also believe that they would never put something in the drinking water that they didn't need to unless there was absolutely no doubt of its safety, regardless of whether it worked, it had to be safe. And um, then when I found out that there was so much um, doubt, you know, there were doctors and dentists and scientists all around the world that had complained about it for years on end, I was shocked by that. And then just a couple of months after that, they wanted to fluoridate the suburb I was living in. And the way I felt at that time was uh, over my dead body would they fluoridate us. I just mm. I just felt convicted, like there's just no way I'm allowing that. And then the more I found out about fluoridation, the more I realised how harmful it is. And I realised that some people live their lives being sick because of fluoridated water. And it's the last thing people would think of is your water when they're trying to get well. So that made me feel that um, that I had to keep doing so. I had to tell people. I had to tell people about it. So you've, been doing, you've been doing that since, I think, um, uh, really seriously for quite some time, I think uh, the late 90s. Yeah. Uh, and I want to get into the data soon, but um, underlying principles – uh, even if fluoride was completely safe, the principle of mass medication without any opt-out from your fundamental life-giving water system, that steps over a line, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's why it should never have been done in the first place. And, you know, it just seems that that's such a basic human right to be able to not have medication forced on you. And it is forced on us. So in 2018, there had been there had been a case going through the courts um, objecting to fluoridation, and it got as far as the Supreme Court. Now, the Supreme Court ruled, so there were five um, Supreme Court judges, they ruled that fluoridation contravenes um, Section 11 of the Bill of Rights, which, so they, what they said was it's compulsory medical treatment. Hmm. So that's fluoridation constitutes compulsory medical treatment, then the, um, Sean Elias, who was the head Supreme Court 
judge at that time, she ruled that it should be illegal. Then there was another judge who I think he didn't even agree that it breached Section 11. Then there were two other judges that said, oh, but if you look at Section 5, Section 5 says it can be just things can overrule Section 11 if they consider it to be justifiable in a democratic society. How they consider providing a dental medication, which in my view doesn't even provide dental medication, but that's the claim, how they can consider that that could be justifiable to override a basic human right, such as our right to um, not be compulsory medically treated, I don't know. Um, And then the last judge ruled that it would depend on the circumstances. So it ended up that fluoridation is still going because there wasn't a majority saying it was illegal, um, but they did rule that it is compulsory medical treatment. So, hmm. you know, yeah. I mean, that should be wrong in anyone's book. Again, I'm 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 hearing echoes of what what's been happening recently. Again, um, how how was it that we became we? Um, the the dental establishment and local bodies, et cetera, became so wedded, welded even, to fluoride. uh, fluoride. It must have been a huge sales job done on them because they've held so firm to it. And I'm thinking with dentists, surely the worse um, condition that teeth are in, the more business for them. So it's sort of counterintuitive that they would support something that would deny them a supply of teeth yeah. to repair. Um, yeah, any ideas about why they got yeah. so welded to it is the word I used? Yeah, well, when fluoridation came in in the USA in 1940s, um, it went as high as the Department of Defence as in why it got promoted. And when, if we think about it, it, it had to have been that high for for them to have done what they did, because before fluoridation, fluoride was always known as a poison that uh, poisoned the environment, poisoned you know uh, crops, animals, and people that were around aluminium smelters. Um, and then in the 1940s, they had the Manhattan Project, and the people around there were getting poisoned by fluoride, and workers were getting uh, poisoned. And there had been court cases um, suing these these industries. So sort of roll back a little bit even further into the 1930s in the um, aluminium, there was some brothers called the Mellon Brothers and they owned Alcoa, which was an aluminium company of America. And they were looking at ways to get rid of their toxic waste, one of them being fluoride. So some dentists had said they thought fluoride was good in water. That's sort of another long story. So they kind of jumped, they jumped on it thinking, oh, this is a good way to get rid of our toxic waste. And then because of the Manhattan Project, it went, it went right up to the top echelons of the US government because that way they could continue the Manhattan Project without it being brought down. And they wanted to create the ABOL before anybody else. So then because then you had the weight of the whole US government. So anybody that said anything different was um, castigated as, you know, Looney Tunes, Fringe, um, tinfoil hat wearing, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, shades of today. <laughs> yeah. So then what happens is people shut up. 
people don't want to lose their jobs, they don't want to lose their careers, they don't want to lose their um, reputations. Uh, you know, I mean, it's really hard being made fun of in public, and that's what happened to people. So, and that's what happens today with other issues, as we see. Yeah. So that's how come it started, and then I think that so many of these dentists have just believed it, like they believe the, a Bible or something or other, and the ones that have any questions just keep quiet. They just keep quiet because they don't want to be called names. Actually, I know a dentist who um, he started speaking out about it in the 1970s because he did a science degree. And he, so he'd done a science degree, then went to do the, the dental uh, thing. And actually, he wrote in his exam that fluoride didn't you know, help with dental decay, but he was told, if you don't change that, we're not going to pass you. So he had to go back and do another six months and then write, oh, fluoride's good for dental decay, blah, blah, fluoridation's good, so that he could pass. Then, anyway, he was in a meeting and he was trying to tell other dentists no, this is this is the truth about fluoride. It's a poison. Da 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 da. And he said they just, they laughed him out of there. They yes. laughed him out of there. So yeah. secure in their opinion, hey? So secure. Yeah. Um, again, I'm, it's like listening to a replay of today. I'm going to stop saying that, but uh, <laughs> it, it's just uncanny. Well, I suppose it's not surprising because it's you know it's the way humans behave, but you know it's such close parallels with. You know, just the words that, the way you explain that, I mean, you, you hear that now in relation to the other thing. Okay. So here in New Zealand, I guess we follow the latest thing, and that was the latest thing. And you've got, uh, I, I suppose you, you cast your mind back to how the health system was run in, what, the 50s, 60s. And um, we thought we were conquering nature and we we're, you know, really smart, knowing everything. And, and that, interest and belief in fluoride kicked off here when did it when did it actually find its way into the um drinking water system was it around that time yeah i think it's 1954 it started in um hastings um and that was after they did a so-called experiment where they fluoridated hastings and they didn't fluoridate napier because they said the two towns were so similar pretty much used the same water supply same sort of people, all the rest of it. And um, they came out and they said, oh, look how good fluoride is for the, the teeth of children in Hastings. But later on, uh, Dr. John Cohoon, who I was talking about before, he did a, he got information, probably from an official information act or something like that. And he, um, he found out that what they did in Hastings is they told the dental nurses to stop, um, stop filling teeth that didn't have holes. Because back in the, the 50s and the 60s, dental nurses were filling up pits and fissures, like any uneven surfaces and teeth, they were filling up with fillings. And anything they thought might be going to cause a filling, they would drill a hole and put a filling in there. Oh, That's because they thought it was preventative. Yeah. So um, nowadays they don't do that. And that's been a huge reason why dental decay rates in children have dropped since the 50s oh, so, so, so that 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 sort of preventative approach was interpreted as cavities when they weren't yeah definitely okay yeah which skews the numbers yeah. yeah 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 or just they thought well this is an uneven surface it's probably going to end up for cavity we'll put a filling in now 
So what they did in Hastings was they stopped doing those unnecessary fillings. So straight away, the dental decay rates for children dropped. So then they compared, they said, oh, look how good Hastings is compared to Napier. But it was a fraud. So think, anyway, Do you so think it was it, a willful fraud or was it some sort of unsophisticated way of, of finding data? No, I think it was a willful fraud, actually. Okay. Yeah. Um, Dr. John Calhoun has a good, there's a good uh, report he's got on that. It'll be on the internet somewhere, you know, the Hastings Napier experiment. So I think it was definitely a fraud. We were the, we were the second place in the world to have fluoridation after the USA. Um, so there was a lot of vested uh, interest in getting New Zealand fluoridated so they could start putting it out around the world. Then um, Lower Hutt was the next place in 1957. That's because they had a dentist uh, as their mayor. And then, ah, yeah, okay, and then yeah. 1963 and uh, Auckland, 1964 and Wellington, it sort of, you know, tended to roll out after that around the 60s, some not until the 70s. Right. Now, you know, if you enter into a debate, which usually turns into an argument over fluoride, in my experience, um, they will cite, the other person will cite or the other party will cite um, the effect uh, of fluoride in in lessening tooth decay in children. And people really believe that. And that sounds really good on the surface. You know, you're trying to do something to improve children's health, et cetera. Um, and people hold on to that really tightly. As I say, we'll get on to the latest information in a moment. But here you've got... Um, uh, compulsory medication into the basic water supply, the drinking water supply. Yet down the road at the supermarket, you've got people going out with trolley loads of of sugary drinks, which presumably are the worst thing for teeth. So the argument that it it somehow uh, improves, particularly uh, children's teeth and poor children's teeth, is completely nuked, isn't it? by the massive con consumption of these drinks. How can anyone make a rational argument for the health benefits in the face of that? Mm. Yeah, well, the only way they make a rational argument is by not telling the whole truth about it. So what they what they try to say is they don't have control over, you know, the sugar intake of children. Although, of course, you know, the Ministry of Health could be doing, um, could be doing, education, education about all of that, um, if they wanted, if they really wanted to get into it. Um, and then what they do, say at the moment, and they have been for years now, is they have a mantra that fluoridation reduces dental decay by 40%. So Forty, they still, four zero, is it? Four zero. Yeah, four zero. That's what they say. And then for people, um, you know, say over 50, but definitely over 60, when we hear 40%, that sounds like a lot. Massive. Because, yeah, because back in the day, 40%, you know, people had an average of about 10 fillings or something, you know. Yeah. So people are like, whoa, you know, and, and people have terrible memories of, you know, the murder house. Hmm. So for older people in New Zealand, that, pro that probably gives a quite an emotional trigger. Um, but the 40% is not. Is, is misleading anyway because what it where it comes from is a 2009 oral health study that the Ministry of Health did and it looked at um, it looked at data from 2008 from this from this study that was really just looking at oral health not fluoridation 
And in fact, the report says it shouldn't be used for fluoridation. And in each age group, they only had about 60 children. And they compared them and they said, oh, it's 40% difference, which was only half a filling anyway. So it's yeah. not like it was five fillings. It was half a filling. So people don't know we're only talking half a filling. And they don't know that that is not the best evidence there is to look at. So the much better evidence is the New Zealand School Dental Statistics because that has that looks at five-year-old children and year eight children and has about 45,000 children in each of those age groups. So that's been going on since the 90s. So anyone can go and have a look. If they look on our website, actually, under dental health, they'll quickly see a chart which shows um, the data from the, uh, the school dental statistics. And what you see, uh, it's a, <clears throat> I've updated it only actually up to 2020 just because I haven't got around to the latest one, so it's 2021. And you will see that the non-fluoridated areas are actually now doing better than the fluoridated areas. So when we look at a huge lot of data, the, the non-fluoridated areas are actually doing better than the fluoridated, even though the non-fluoridated areas can um, contain places like the far north or the east coast, which are lower socio-demographics than the likes of Wellington, which is the highest demographic. So even though that's in the data, the non-fluoridated areas, you know, are either better or there's really there's just not much difference. Yeah, you know, in tooth decay rates, and the far north you'd expect uh, poorer communities, um, worse oral health, right? So something doesn't stack up there. So yeah, is well, that? It's, oh, sorry, just getting back to the the way the the risk was measured, down to half a filling, as it turned out, is that the absolute risk versus relative risk interpretation again? Because yeah. that's again what's happened recently. Um, the benefits have been sold on relative risk. And when you drill down, you know, it's 250,000 doses to prevent one person or, or, or people to prevent one person just ending up in hospital. Sounds good on the surface, but the actual numbers show something completely different. So um, it, it depends on which one you look at and absolute risk would be the, the more appropriate, right? Yeah, definitely. Because when we're talking about small numbers, you know, 40%, 40% of what? I mean, if 40% was 40% of of virtually nothing, then it's still virtually nothing, you yeah. know? So it's it's just ridiculous. Yeah, meaningless. Yeah, yeah. but going back to um, the far north, the far north does have worse dental health than, you know, say Wellington. You yeah. know, socio-demographics is what plays the, the biggest influence on um, dental decay rates. But what I was just saying is when you mix up you know, non-fluoridated to fluoridated, even though we've got those those places with high dental decay rates, we're still they still can't show a benefit from fluoridation. Right, got it. All right, so let's get on to the uh, information here, and uh, this is uh, and you've got it on your website, the fluoridefreenz.org, and this is from the U.S. National Toxicology Program. What, what's what's that program? What are they okay. are they looking? What do they look into? Obviously, fluoride. Uh, well, National Toxicology Program is like um, commissioned by the US uh, Health and Human Services, and it's an intergovernmental agency or entity that's set up to look at uh, toxins. So they look at different things. They'll do big reviews of all sorts of things. So in this case, they've done a big review 
of fluoride um, pertaining to neurotoxicity. And um, what they found is that, so this study looked at an, uh, human studies. So in the past, they had looked at animal studies and it hadn't been clear. And so don't, like, tell oh, me, yeah. don't tell me rats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there would have been rats. <laughs> Those and, rats um, have got great teeth. Um, and, and this report, <laughs> the draft report is out. It was, uh, I think, released just last week, wasn't it? Just to clarify. Yeah, yeah, I think two weeks ago. Um, so, and it did, it was only released because there's a court case going on in the USA and um, the judge has ruled that the, they had to release it because the Centers for Disease Control were trying to keep a lid on it. And so had it been suppressed for over a year. And so finally the, the judges said, look, if you're not, good, you know, you've got to release it. So they have released it now. Um, yeah, there was a, um, there's an article on stuff, the whole truth. In our, in our 1984 world, it's called The Whole Truth. Yes, I know that and, section. Um, I always go there for a laugh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's what, what I find astonishing is how basic, is how basic the journalists are. They well, just do so little research. I think that's that, a very um, apt description, actually. Very basic. and uh, It seems at all levels. Hmm. Yeah, they, they don't really do research. They ring up. They ring up some uh, whoever they've decided is is the be all and end all or the, the one expert, source of truth. The, the expert, Mary. yeah, the expert that that you know the one source of truth said was the expert, and they just they just take whatever they say, and just then call it uh, the whole it. truth, and then call it the whole truth. Yeah, hmm. yeah, astonishing. Um, so I'm, I'm quite annoyed at what they wrote uh, yesterday. And well, what did they say? Through. What do they say specifically? <laughs> well, they start off by saying that that it's misinformation, and oh, they say go. that yeah. I'll just get it up actually. What I've got here, they say that um, they say that this report only came out because of it's reemerged because of um, the, the government uh, declaring this mandatory fluoridation for the whole New, of New Zealand. So the government has passed an act last year which makes fluoridation mandatory for all water suppliers that supply 500 people or more. All right, so, they, yeah, they say it's re-emerged because of that, but it's completely, that's not why it's out. It's out because of the court case in the US. Then they say that, um, they say straight away that the mineral is present in all water supplies, but usually at levels too low to have beneficial effects on dental health. But... Fluoride is, is not like calcium or magnesium. It's like lead or arsenic. So there's no requirement for fluoride in the body. So you can't say that it's too low. It's too low for dental health or too low for anything. Because we don't because, need it anyway, right? No. No, we have absolutely no requirement for fluoride. So it, it can't be considered to be some beneficial mineral or nutrient. It's actually just a poison. Um, and then they say, you know, that there's been concerns from this not National Toxicology Program. Mm. Oh, yeah. So, and then they say, they say something really strange. Oh, they say, the misinformation we've seen suggests current 
exposure to fluoride via drinking water prenatally and during childhood results, and during childhood results in measurable IQ loss. And they say this simply isn't true. But in fact, it's totally true. Two of the highest quality studies that were in the National Toxicology meta-analysis are from Green and Till. And they, um, so one was from Green and she looked at the amount of fluoride that a pregnant mother is exposed to mm. and, and not actually just how much she was exposed to. Um, like she, they actually measured the urine, the fluoride in the urine of the mothers and then compared it to the children's IQ when they were about three or four. So they've actually got a real dose response. And yep. then Till looked at um, children children being bottle-fed fluoridated water. Now, both of these studies come from Canada, where they fluoridate at a lower level than us. So for the whole truth to say that um, the information suggests current exposure levels to fluoride uh, for, you know, prenatally or during childhood results in measurable IQ loss, they can't say it's simply not true because it simply is true. <laughs> These are two, two of the t- top studies in the world at lower levels than what we are exposed to. Crikey. So, well, again, um, why am I not surprised? It, it sounds also familiar. So when you say lower levels in Canada, that's lower levels, what, per litre or however it's mentioned, uh, rather than just, you know, only a few scattered places. Yeah, so so what they mean is um, when they put fluoride in the water, they put it at, in New Zealand, we have uh, the Ministry of Health recommends a range of 0.7 to 1 milligram per litre, or the other way of saying it is parts per million, so same, same measurement. And yeah. they the council's target 0.85. So they they set their machinery for 0.85, but it's all it's no, never that precise, you know, right. so it will often be a little bit more, you know, less or a little bit more. But in Canada, the highest level they allow is 0.7. So often it's even lower than that. Um, we're, we're one of the highest in the world at 0.85. Most places are lower than that. You know, and years ago it used to be uh, one part per million and they used to say in cold places it should be 1.2 part per million because apparently people in cold places drink less. I mean, it's so... It's so stupid. <laughs> it's so stupid. It's hard to believe that we've had to argue it. Because if people in if they say people in cold places drink less, well then what do people drink? So do people in cold places? Yeah, there's a basic only- requirement uh, um, uh, quantity of water that each human really needs to have, right? <laughs> we drink like- less in the South Island, or. or- <laughs> In, the, in yeah. Queenstown or something, yeah. Yeah, but if they're going to follow that that argument, then what about people who drink more? What about an athlete who drinks four litres a day? What about a minor in Western Australia drinking four litres a day? Yeah. Yeah. What about a bottle-fed baby whose dosage, which is milligrams per kilo per day, is getting a huge dose compared to an adult? What about a fetus is getting a huge dose compared to an adult? So what about all of that? The whole thing is based on something so stupid. It's it's so astounding that we're here arguing it. You must feel like you're banging your head against a wall. 
Yeah. Sometimes. Uh, it, well, it really is astonishing when you talk to the fluoridation promoters and they can't seem to grasp that little bit of logic. You would avoid anything that could even remotely impact on the IQ of children because, I mean, the flow-on effect of that is is huge. So what, is, what does this data tell us then? What does it actually uh, say? What happened? What what effect? How low low it is the IQ? What sort of? I mean, if it's just a couple of nano points, I guess you'd never notice. But I mean, does it mean that people have more trouble tying their shoelaces when they, when they well, get older or something like that? Oh yeah, it's worse than that. So oh. um, right. So what they're finding is, say if if I look at the bottle feeding one, because that's actually a really that's a really serious one. So anybody out there that's bottle feeding a baby or knows somebody bottle feeding a baby, please tell them to use non-fluoridated water. Even the US Centers for Disease Control recommends low fluoride, which is not fluoridated water, um, for bottle feeding. So what the TIL study found was that for 0.5 milligrams per litre increase in fluoride in the water, so, or you could say 0.5 parts per million, um, that resulted in a decrease of nearly nine IQ points for bottle-fed babies compared, oh. compared to breastfed babies. So that, that's huge. If you have a, um, if over a society we reduce IQ by five IQ points, what we do is half the number of geniuses and double the number of mentally impaired. And of course, five is an average. So some people won't have lost any. Maybe not so much the bottle feeding babies that they'd be hard pressed not to lose any IQ points, I would say. Um, I guess, right? <laughs> just uh just, just guessing on that. But um but for other people, there'll be, you know, your genetics, there'll be iodine status of your mother, et cetera, et cetera. But for then for some people, it can mean a loss of 10 points, it can mean a loss of 15 points. And and that's it's huge. Even like a loss of one IQ point, um, I think it was the Dunedin Longitudinal Study found that that affects people's ability to earn all the rest of it over a lifetime. Here's here's what I'm thinking as you're saying that, Mary. And I wonder if others are thinking this. Um, there's a lot of debate at the moment about the performance of our children in schools compared to earlier years. Now I don't know if if there's anything in this, but you would have to ask the question in view of what you've just um, spoken about, that this, because it's being blamed on the education system, and I guess there's there's some blame to be, to be had there, but could we be seeing the results of this lowering of IQ in the scholastic performance of our children, which seems to have have gone backwards, though, again, the time span, hard to know. But uh, this is one of the problems we're having. And uh, I think you said mental impairment, did you, rather than mental illness? Uh, it's two different things. Yeah, mental impairment, yeah, yeah. But, but but we're also seeing people with quite a few problems, which maybe has an origin in some sort of impairment. Um, do you think there's a connection that could be made, particularly with the performance of kids now in, in the education system? A lot of them can't read when they come out. They can't do basic maths. They're not fit for jobs. Yeah. Could there be something in there? Well, I don't, I don't see why there wouldn't be. I don't see why there wouldn't be 
an effect because these studies, um, they're showing that definitely fluoride, like we're not even arguing that fluoride reduces IQ anymore. Nobody is arguing that. So the argument is at what level? Now, as I was just talking about, the level in the water is a ridiculous measurement since we all drink different amounts, we're all mm. exposed at different times, et cetera. Um, and there's, you know, the whole thing about total fluoride exposure. So what this, the National Toxicology Program said was, you know, the total fluoride exposure is what we have to look at because people are, are brushing their teeth with fluoride toothpaste. I mean, that didn't come in until the 1970s, I don't think, fluoride toothpaste. Um and then, you know, young children swallow, they think about half the fluoride, and that's a huge dose of fluoride actually coming through that way as well. So I don't see why why we wouldn't have had an effect on our population because we are being totally overexposed with, to fluoride, which is a known neurotoxin, which is known to reduce IQ. And it's now known at the levels we're being exposed to. So what, why would it not? Although I wouldn't think it was just this last generation that are at school at the moment. I would think, um, you know, other generations, if we think it's starting in the 1960s, 1960s and 70s, so we're talking people even in their 40s and that. But another thing I wonder, which is just me wondering, is if the exposure is getting worse because of mothers who have been exposed. So, so a person growing up with fluoridated water, they're going to be um, accumulating about 50% of their bones and soft tissue. So that's also not argued. Right? Everybody, everybody agrees that that is the case. So, you know, thank you very much, Ministry of Health, that, you know, giving me a dose of fluoride. So I'm accumulating all this fluoride in my bones and soft tissue for no good reason. Um, so that build-up, what I wonder is then those mothers have children are they are their children getting a higher dose of fluoride than what their mothers would have given them? But I suppose I'm just theorizing or, you know, it's hypothesizing. It's that tin, tinfoil hat that you wear, Mary, that, that's causing <laughs> that. But even if you suspected there could be something, you'd be diving in to check, wouldn't you? Um, and, and, yeah, that would, that would be a logical thing to look at straight off as a matter of urgency because, well, well right. particularly for the children. Um, so they must be aware, of, you know, they, the, the corporate they, whoever they are, must be aware of this draft report, and it's only yeah, within the last couple of weeks. Um, has there been any comment about it? Are they saying, it? well, it doesn't apply to us, that's a different country, and boom, boom. Yeah. What have they been saying? Yeah, so, so their response, you know, we put out a press release, which, of course, didn't get picked up by the mainstream media. They you mean the whole you know, truth right? didn't report it? <laughs> no. Um, in the past, when we we used to put out press releases, I would have the media ringing me. Yeah. You know, I would have the Herald, NZME, RNZ, a whole lot of them would, would ring. But these days, none of them ring. So That's even telling. though this is... That's telling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. So even, this is the biggest thing, really, that's happened with fluoridation because this is now a US governmental department, you know, the top sort of science that they rely on, and it is saying that fluoride reduces children's IQ, even at the levels we're exposed to. The way they say it is a total fluoride exposure. So um, 
So, yeah, not one one call from anybody in mainstream media to ask about it. And what they've done is they've gone and put this article out on the whole truth, and they've talked to uh, Dr. Uh, Broadbent down and uh, Jonathan Broadbent in Dunedin, who's a dentist, and Rob Beaglehole, who's the spokesperson for the New Zealand Dental Association and obviously the Ministry of Health. But, you know, what they're saying in this in this uh, article is it's basically all just wrong and it's really, um, it's really, really shallow. It's just, yeah, it's, it's just unbelievable that these people think that they're right. I mean, you've got to wonder about their, their IQ, that they can write something. <laughs> so so I've been swallowing toothpaste. Yeah, it's so trivial what they say. You know, they're just not looking deeply. I mean, it feels like the woman that wrote this report this article didn't read the NTP study. She didn't even bother going and reading it for herself and having a think. So why didn't she go and read the highest quality studies? You know, they said there were nine. Nine of the studies were um, the highest qualities quality, and eight of them showed that fluoride reduced IQ. So why didn't she go and have a look at those studies and see what they were saying? Because if she did, there's no way she could. Be, be saying what she said in this the whole truth, you know? Yeah, I wish I knew the answer to that, except to say that standards have slipped. They, sh- they, yeah. they sure have. So the the, the data basically that um, from uh, US government is applicable to here. Not it's, saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely applicable. So in their... In their um, uh, discussion and their results sort of thing, their finding, they say that the review finds with moderate confidence, which is which is really confident if you think about it, to say yeah, you're moderately moderate, confident. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, not sort of like a real, real maybe possibility. It's putting yourself out there, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The higher fluoride exposure, um, and then it says, e.g., represented by populations whose total fluoride exposure approximates or exceeds the world health organization guidelines of drinking water quality of 1.5 milligrams per litre of fluoride is consistently associated with lower IQ with children. And then it says more studies are needed to fully understand the potential. But what they're saying is it's to do with um, it's to do with the total exposure. Yeah. So they're not just saying that if you're at 1.5 part per million or milligrams per litre, then uh, that's it. They're saying that if your total fluoride exposure is um, equates to 1.5 milligrams per litre, I know that sounds confusing, and I think it's been put in there to to make us feel confused. Because when when the governments rolled out, you know this when they rolled out fluoridation, what they assumed, or at least what they told people, was that the fluoride in the water was really their only source because it was before fluoridated toothpaste, before a lot of the fluoride in the medications. So mostly if people got fluoride, it was through the water. So they were saying 1.5 parts per million was, it's like like the top, you know, in New Zealand, you're not allowed to go past that. But what the NTP reviewers are saying is that if you look at total fluoride exposure, People drinking 0.7 part per million because they're looking at 
US levels, which, you know, obviously lower than here, that their total fluoride exposure exceeds that. Our, our, it can be said that for some people in fluoridated countries, the um, the total fluoride exposure exceeds what could be expected from 1.5 part per million. Right. Do you get what I mean? It's kind of yeah, a, yeah, yeah. put no. it in an awkward way. Yeah, I, I think um, I think we you know we can decipher that. So, uh, you know, you mentioned the medications. I remember having fluoride tablets. My mother used to give me fluoride tablets. Her, her mother was a dental nurse, so I guess that's where that came from. And uh, back in the day, um, you know, <laughs> they followed their orders, I guess. Uh, and there's toothpaste now, so there are plenty of alternatives available. You don't have to have it in the water supply, and we're back to that fundamental point again, that um, the arrogance, the uh, what's the word of of seeing thinking it's okay to compulsorily medicate people, yeah, with a fundamental life giving, um, you know, water uh, at the very base level of every everyday life for people. It, it's I, I can't see an argument that would be for doing that. I mean, that mm. they've fallen over even at that point before we get to the data and information. So I guess a long-winded way of getting to asking you, huh, you've been in the fight or the crusade for a long time. How long how long before you think you can can flip this the other way? With so many people invested in it, it, it it's it's like a mantra. Um, surely you're hoping for a day where that fluoride isn't being tipped into the water supply anymore anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, we thought that we thought that when the Bashash study came out from Mexico, where they looked at um, actual doses, you know, because they looked at the fluoride in the, the urine of the mother and compared mm. it to the IQ of the children. And that was, you know, pretty robust. That's one of the high quality studies in the NTP. We thought that would probably end fluoridation. Um, with then with the green study that was published in JAMA, you know, the Journal of American Medical Association, we thought surely that would end fluoridation. And we had the editors of um, JAMA saying that they did a podcast because it was so controversial, and they said they couldn't fault the study. They were so surprised by it that it was that it was like lead. It's it's having the same sort of effect as what lead had. And one of them said, he, you know, he would advise his wife not to, to have it if she was pregnant. Um, we thought that would end it. You know, it just keeps going. But I think that um, I think we need a cultural shift is what I've is the conclusion I've started to come to with everything else that's happened hmm. um, is because I used to blame the Ministry of Health, just the Ministry of Health, just the fluoride promoters or just the counsellors, you know, why couldn't they see? I mean, a lot, some of the counsellors have, obviously, and we've stopped it at places. But what I've realised is it's our culture because when people hear, um, well, for startups, it's the argument that you're saying. It's, it's so arrogant to force medication. Well, it should be an assault or something. You know, it's so wrong. It's fundamentally wrong to medicate people without their consent. I mean, we're not allowed to go into someone's house and put fluoride tablets or anything into somebody's drink. So we wouldn't go to someone's house, put fluoride tablets in their baby's drinking, in their baby's bottle and not tell them. I mean, right. it's just so bizarre and you yeah. would be arrested. 
but we're allowing the council or central government to do that to everybody. So in their argument for doing that, we, we argue back that, well, if you want fluoride, you can just brush your teeth like people do, because that's actually how it works, is, is on the outside of your teeth, not from swallowing. So if you want fluoride, just brush your teeth. And um, or you can even go and take fluoride tablets if you really want, even though it doesn't work that way. Then they say, oh, but there's some poor children who don't brush their teeth. These are the ones drinking gallons of soft drinks. So, you know, from every all exits are sealed, really, when you look at it, yet they're still behaving as if all the doors are open. Yeah. But then if you think about our culture, why why are not more New Zealanders up in arms about being compulsory medicated? Why are more New Zealanders not up in arms when they find out that fluoride is a byproduct of the phosphate fertiliser industry that's too toxic to go into the air or the sea or the rivers um, or the lakes? And the only way they can get rid of it without paying to get rid of it is to drip feed it for our public water supply. So people, I thought that that would be natural to be outraged about that. I thought that would be the natural instinct that mm, if mm. someone puts toxic waste in your drinking water, that that is totally unacceptable and that to be passionate and outraged is the normal response. Yet it's not the usual response in New Zealand. You know, I think more usual responses, people might gasp, but then think that they're powerless and they yeah, don't I th- feel... I think, you've, I think you've hit on it. I think you've hit on it. And, and we've seen that demonstrated recently as well. You know, um, you, you talk about jobs and well-beings and um, uh, wealth and all of that being threatened, and that that's enough to shut most people up. They don't want to even be look like the person who disagrees. You know, against the group. Uh, there's some. There's a, a great lack of courage. Uh, yeah. is probably what you're saying. Well, if people want to find out about this, fluoridefree.org.nz, and it's pretty pretty easy to navigate to the page where you, you, you kind of preamble it and then put a, a link into that report and it's some pages, big PDF opens up. Um, so uh, I would say to listeners who have an interest in this or have just had interest peaked because you might not have heard this too much before to, to, to go in and take a look. And I want to thank you, Mary, for coming on and explaining that and for your efforts over the years. I know it's not easy to hang in there. Oh, thank you for having me on, Paul. That's that's great. You know, the more exposure we can get, the better. And if we can reach a tipping point of New Zealanders that understand the issue, that's when I think we'll get it stopped. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.